0: Jesus paid it all. All to him I owe. That's why we gather. Amen? We gather to remember that message and to rejoice in it corporately and to share that. If you do not know what that means, if you do not know what it means that Jesus paid it all, we are so thankful and happy that you are here. Well, I enjoy reading self-help books. Do you enjoy reading this genre? Now, I I don't read self-help books to lead me to salvation. I've found salvation in this book. And so as I read self-help books, I'm not looking to find a way of salvation, although self-help books can be very helpful in improving self. And one of my favorite self-help books is a book called Grit. Grit. Have you heard of this work? The the, the subtitle is The Power of Passion and Perseverance. The author is a lady by the name of Angela Duckworth. Angela Duckworth is a PhD-trained psychologist. And in this book, she tackles the question, what is it that makes successful people successful? She surveys a number of different options. She surveys talent and intelligence. And in her study, she says that it's not those qualities that lead people to have success in life. What the main characteristic that drives people to long-term success in life is what she refers to as grit. Grit. She defines grit this way. Grit is the ability to be and stay passionate about a specific goal over a long period of time grit is the ability to persevere in pursuing goal excuse me in pursuing a goal that you have in light of ongoing repeated difficulties grit is the courage and resolve it is a strength of character grit is the firmness of mind or spirit the unyielding courage in the face of hardship or danger. That's what grit is. Grit is the ability to maintain focus and passion on a goal over a long period of time. And as you move towards this goal, you have to overcome certain hurdles and obstacles. Grit is your ability to withstand the difficulty and continue going. While Angela did not write this book for a Christian audience. It has a lot of carryover in the Christian life. In the Bible, we are told over and over and over again that in the Christian life we, we can't give up. We have to keep going. That our re- our redemption is drawing near, but in the meantime, as we experience difficulty, we have to keep going. In the Christian life we cannot quit. That is what the Bible says. And as a subset of the Christian life, it is also true. The necessity of grit is also true, not just in in the Christian life in general, but in the in our prayer lives specifically. When we pray, we oftentimes are discouraged. You think of a saint who has had a specific prayer request for ten years. And they come to the Lord faithfully over and over again with this prayer request. And yet, the Lord up until that point has said no. That can be a discouraging situation. That can be a a, a difficulty to overcome. Prayer is essential. But in prayer we run run into difficulty. We, we We run into the problem of unanswered prayer. And as we experience unanswered prayer, we become discouraged. Now, the Lord Jesus knows this. All of our problems that we have, all of the difficulties we have in the Christian life, the Lord has told us about them beforehand. And what we're going to read this morning is we're going to read Luke 18. Let's go ahead and turn there, Luke 18. We're going to read a parable about a widow who was persistent. A widow who came to an unrighteous judge over and over again and who ended up getting what it is that she sought after. Luke 18, we'll begin in verse 1. We're going to see that Jesus understands the difficulty of life. We're going to see that Jesus is sympathetic towards you. In the difficulty, Jesus knows how you feel. And we're going to see that Jesus has an instruction for us in our difficulty. God cares about the trials that we go through, and He understands. And He has provided, by means of His Son, He has provided this instruction for us this morning. Luke 18, beginning in verse 1. And he, this is the Lord Jesus, he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, Give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice, so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, Hear what the unrighteous judge says, and will not God give justice to his elect? who cry to him day and night, will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Jesus here shares with us a parable, and the way that we're going to tackle this portion of Scripture this morning In the first section, we're going to spend a bit of time explaining what this parable means. And then we're going to move to application. What does Jesus mean here in using this parable? To understand what Jesus means, we have to tackle the notion of a parable. We have not tackled this since I've been here. A parable is a story used to illustrate a spiritual truth. One characteristic of a good Bible teacher is that they will use stories to illustrate points. That's what Jesus is doing here. A good preacher will take his cue from the Lord Jesus himself. This is a story, and it's not necessarily a true story. This doesn't necessarily have to be historical for Jesus' point to still be true. Jesus' point is not to say this actually happened. His point is illustrative. It can be true whether it happened or not. Now I imagine in light of all of the experiences people have had in the world, at somewhere, at some time, in some place, this has happened. But Jesus' point is not that. Jesus' point is simply to use this story as a teaching device. And what he wants to teach us, he wants to teach us to persevere in prayer. And the way he teaches us that is by using an argument of lesser to greater. What Jesus is saying here, if, if this is true of this situation, this small situation, this insignificant situation, how much more true is it also relevant and true in this larger, more important situation? It's a very simple parable to understand. Jesus is making an argument of lesser to greater. And there's four characters here. There are four characters in this parable. The first character we are introduced to is a judge. Verse 2, in a certain city there was a judge. Now this judge has two qualities about him. This judge is neither a fearer of God. He does not honor the greatest commandment, which is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Neither does he particularly care about people. It says that he is not a respecter of men. He's not doing this job out of concern of civic duty. He doesn't really care about people. Jesus characterizes this judge in verse 6. He calls him unrighteous. This is an unrighteous man. That's the first character. The second character is a widow. Verse 3. And there was a widow in that city. Now to understand the significance of a widow, we must understand how women related in the ancient world. In the ancient world, women did not have the privileges and rights that they do today. Women were seen as being less important than men. And specifically a widow... A widow did not have her husband to represent her in society. This widow represents the poor and the oppressed of society. If we were to think of a social structure with a ladder, the judge would be near the top, and this widow would be near the bottom. This woman, in many ways, in this context, was a nobody. Her significance, she did not have much significance. And what Jesus is saying here is that this widow, though she, that her role was insignificant in society, though she was deemed as being unimportant, she had grit. She had this ability to push through difficulty and to continue pursuing her goal. Her goal is, quote, to receive justice uh, from her adversary, And in verse 3, it says that this widow kept coming to this judge over and over again. She wouldn't let up. She kept after him. We can think of him on his way to work. And this widow comes and says, hey, judge, you remember remember me? Day after day after day, she had tremendous grit. If Angela Duckworth were to write a book on grit in the first century, this widow would be an example of that. And through her perseverance, what happens is that the judge says, Leave me alone, okay? You can have justice. Now the motive in the judge is not love or concern for the widow, but being annoyed. He, do, he wants to not be bothered by this lady anymore. That's the story of the widow and the judge. And then Jesus brings in two other characters. The next character Jesus mentions is God verse 7 and will not God give justice to his elect who cried to him day and night now this God here is God the Father what Jesus is saying here if this is true of an evil judge if an evil judge will give to this persistent widow what it is that she's seeking after how much more will God provide what his people need to them So Jesus is contrasting the judge who is unrighteous. Who does not care for people. Who wants to be left alone. He is contrasting that judge with God the Father. God the Father is not like the judge. God the Father is infinitely compassionate. He is infinitely mighty. He is infinitely loving. The judge and God are very different. And then the fourth party... Once again, verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect? So four characters. The judge, the widow, God the Father, and the elect. Now this term for election or elect is referring to the theological topic of election. The church is the elect because God has chosen the church. And notice how the elect has a special relationship with God the Father. Verse 7. And will not God give justice to his elect? You see the relationship between God and his church Is much more intimate than the relationship between the judge and the widow The judge and the widow, the widow does not know the judge The judge has no responsibilities towards the widow But with a relationship with God's people to God That is an intimate and an unbreakable relationship In summarizing what Jesus is saying, he's saying this if this is true for a widow and a judge, if a judge will listen to a persistent widow who he does not care about, he does not love God, and he is actually unrighteous, how much more will God listen to his people who persistently, repeatedly, and actively come to him? That's the idea. From lesser To greater, making a theological point about God's willingness and desire to answer your prayers on the basis of a story about a widow and a judge. That's what the passage means. That's what the passage means in the first century. Now, Pastor, what does it mean for me in my trials? How does this relate to my struggles in prayer? Here we want to transition to application. I'm going to make a number of observations about this passage and then apply it at the end. What I want you to notice first, this is a theological observation. I want you to notice Jesus' understanding nature. I want you to notice that Jesus understands what it is like to have unanswered prayer. Prayer. In verse 1, Jesus says, And he told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Now, why does Jesus offer this parable? He offers this parable because he knows that it is so easy for us to become discouraged in prayer. It is so easy for us to be given to prayerlessness. Jesus understands that. The Bible teaches that Jesus is both God and man. Without Jesus' deity, he would not have the power to save us. Without his humanity, he could not save us because he was not one of us. Jesus is exactly what we need. And his humanity gives him the ability to understand what you have gone through. Jesus is able to sympathize with you more so than anyone else in all of the world. Jesus gets you more so than anyone else. And the reason why he does is because he knows what your experience is like. He has been through the same type of difficulties. Take unanswered prayer. What did Jesus pray right before the cross? He said, Father, I pray that this cup would pass from me if it is your will. God the Father said no to that request. Jesus knows what it's like to have unanswered prayer. And Jesus is able to sympathize with you in the difficulties that you experience, in the frustrations and trials of life and of prayer. And connecting this to kind of a current issue that, that, that society has made popular, you think of the notion of solidarity. You think of the notion of solidarity. Solidarity is the relationship that a person might have with a group or a person might have with, with another person. And this relationship is characterized by a shared mindset and shared experiences. My wife has epilepsy, and every one 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 day every year there is a National Day of Epilepsy Awareness. And on this day, there might be a walk for epilepsy or a run for epilepsy, and people will wear the purple color. Uh, excuse me, wear the color purple and show solidarity with each other. That's what solidarity means, and and solidarity is powerful. Because it's, it's very helpful for other people to understand and get you. One of the more discouraging situations in life is whenever you have this burden. And you go to someone who you think might be able to help you. And you share with them the burden. But they just don't get it. They just offer counsel that is unhelpful. And they don't understand. Sometimes to, to understand each other we have to walk in each other's shoes. Now the Lord Jesus has walked in your shoes. Listen to what Hebrews says. Hebrews 4.15 For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The Bible teaches that Jesus, because he is a man, because he is truly a man, he is truly human just as you are truly human. He is able to understand and sympathize with you in an infinite way. He gets you. He understands your dilemma. He understands your difficulty. Because he is God, he has the power to deliver you from your difficulties. And because he is human, he has the ability to understand you. In your trials and difficulties, dear friend, Jesus gets it. Jesus is the most relevant and approachable person ever. How can you say no to Jesus? If you're not a Christian, I I would just ask how can you say no to this type of person? A person who is infinitely able to help you because he is God, and who is able to infinitely understand you because he is a man. Jesus understands. He he, he tells us to keep going because he understands what it's like to struggle with difficulty and discouragement. That's the first observation. The second observation is this, based upon this passage. Another theological observation. God the Father hears your prayers. God the Father hears your prayers. Sometimes the most obvious point needs to be pointed out. You might be saying, yeah, no duh, Pastor. No duh, God hears our prayers. Tell us something new. That's obvious. And it is, it is. But, but I, I, I want to kind of drill down here a bit. And I want us to kind of try to understand exactly what that means for you. What exactly does that mean that God hears your prayers? It means this. It means that at any time, in any situation, in any difficulty, that you have available to you the ear of Almighty God. And this Almighty God is perfect, holy, good, and true. His abilities have no limit. He has no limitations. He does not sleep. He does not need food. He is self-existent. He always is and always was and always will be. Through all of life's frustrations and difficulties, because of the Lord Jesus Christ, he offers his ear to you. He never tires of hearing your requests. He never needs a break. He has no limit. You can tell him anything and everything you want. He does not grow tired. Because of the Lord Jesus, he will never never tell you, okay, I've heard enough from you today. Through all of life's frustrations and difficulties, through all of life's unanswered prayer, You have a heavenly advocate who is infinitely superior to you and who can provide for you all that you need. And he cares for you. He cares for you. He cares about your burdens. He cares about your trials. He cares about your discouragement. And we must never believe that Unanswered prayer is a sign that God does not listen. We must never assume that unanswered prayer means that God is not listening. That is atheism or deism. Atheism is the belief that there is no God. Deism is the belief that God is far too... He is not inclined towards hearing from us. We must not be atheists nor deists. We must be Christians. Simply because God has not answered your prayer does not mean that he is listening. He is listening. He is always listening. From this text, tying this to the passage. Jesus says, And will not not God give justice to his elect, who cry to him day and night? Jesus knows that the Father knows that the elect, the church, cries to him day and night. And you're crying to him in the, in the prayers that you have and that tears fill your eyes and that maybe no one knows about. God knows. God knows God listens. God hears. This is a profound theological truth that at all times in all circumstances on all of life's difficulties, we have Access because of Jesus to God's ear not only do we have access to him but Jesus tells us that he will answer our prayers the Bible says that, G- that God Jesus says that God the Father will answer your prayers look at verse 8 I tell you the Lord Jesus speaking here He will give justice to them speedily So in verse 7 Jesus asks two questions Will not God give justice to his elect the answer is yes Will he delay long over them the answer is no And then Jesus concludes with this statement I tell you he will give justice to them speedily To understand this let's let's see what Jesus is not saying I want you to notice that Jesus does not say this. Jesus does not say he can give justice to them. The passage does not say he can give justice to them. The passage does also not say he might give justice to them. It doesn't say can or might. What does it say? will now what does that mean what does it mean that can and might are not there but will is it means that this is a promise it means that you can bank your whole life on this sentence it means that in all of your discouragements you can take all of them and place them on this sentence this sentence is strong enough to hold your prayer life all of the discouragements that you have is strong enough. This will provides us with hope. It provides us with the ability to keep going. It's not a can or a mite. It is a will. And notice that the Lord Jesus, not only does he say what God will do, he also tells us how he will do it. Jesus says, I tell you, he, God the Father, will give justice to them, the elect. How so? Speedily. Jesus tells us not only that God will provide for us, that God will, be, will answer our prayers, will provide us what it is that we need. Jesus also tells us the manner and how he'll deliver it. He'll deliver it to us speedily. Speedily is in is, is opposition to slowly. Jesus is not saying he will give them justice slowly. He is saying that he will do it quickly, speedily. Now, I think in all of this passage, the hardest part to understand is this right here. Let's say that you've been praying a certain prayer for a long time. I imagine many of you have. You've had the same prayer request. For weeks, for months, for years And so you, you read this and you scratch your head like Ugh, Lord, no, this hasn't happened quickly How do we relate our experience to what the Bible teaches? How do we do that? Well first we must understand that what it is that determines truth is not our experience but it is the word of God and the whole Christian life is a process of the Lord pruning us of our false ideas about him and about the world and moving us to think thoughts that he has about himself and about the world that is what being a Christian is that is what it means to grow in godliness and so we know that the Lord Jesus is right right? we know that the Lord Jesus is right right? yes he is he is right, what he says is true How do we understand it, though? A wonderful question. It's one I've wrestled with a lot. You know, you read the book of Revelation, Jesus says, I'm coming back soon. I don't know how you guys determine soonness, but 2,000 years, Lord, what do you mean? I I think I've grown in my understanding of, of, of how to understand this in light of speaking with elderly saints. If you ever speak to an elderly saint, they will say to you that life goes by like that. Life goes by like that. Now, if you talk to a child, a year is a really long time. You know, driving for five hours is like when are we going to be there? You know what I'm saying? But with age, what happens is as we age, our perspective on time changes. What we used to see as forever, we now see as it's gone. We come to appreciate as we age, and we come to recognize more the brevity of life. We come to see that weeks and months and years and decades isn't really that long. And I take it that when we get to heaven, when we get to heaven and when we see our lives play out in front of us, and when we see, we look upon those times where we had to be patient, we will look back in that and say, that happened all very quickly. And God's relationship with time is different than ours. We have this perspective that needs development and it does develop as we age and I imagine in in a million years in eternity our perspective on time will change continually but what God offers here is he offers his perspective from his perspective which we can kind of taste and see in life is that from his perspective he provides this in a timely manner that it happens speedily and from your perspective though you, you might be in a trial where you're just saying Lord how much longer Where are you? That might be where you're at. And in some sense that's okay. But what we must do is we must read this passage and we must trust what Jesus teaches by faith. And we must trust that not only will God provide for us, but he will do so speedily. Then, in the meantime we might not feel that, but we know one day we will feel this. It might not be in this life, though. But we embrace it by faith. We embrace it by faith. And as we close, the last point this is kind of touching upon the title of the sermon. Don't give up. Don't give up in your discouragement, in your prayers in the christian life in general but in the in, in your prayer life specifically don't give up keep going keep pressing that prayer that you have had for a long time tomorrow morning wake up get on your knees and pray the same prayer keep going keep praying And we know what is true about persistence, right? Persistence pays off. Persistence pays off. That is true in life in general for hard work, and that is true in the Christian life specifically. The degree to which you exert yourself in praying in this life about hard things is the degree to which you will be rewarded when the son of man returns now that might not happen in this life but as Galatians 6 9 says if you do not give up you will reap a harvest the bible says that don't give up keep going keep praying keep believing God And wait to see what he does. To end this morning. This book is called. Devoted great men and their godly. Mothers or moms. Fathers and sons and daughters. If you're looking for a good book. To get your mother. I would recommend. This book. In this book the author Tim Challies. Shares a number of stories. About how godly mothers have impacted. Specific men in church history. And there's one story particularly that I think illustrates the, 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 the promise that we have of, of deliverance, but the necessary persistence that it requires. This is a story of a woman by the name of Angela Juan. I think I'm pronouncing her name right. Angela Juan. Angela is the mother of a man by the name of Christopher Wan. Christopher is a published author, conference speaker, and Bible teacher. Now, Christopher was not always a Christian. He, at one time in his life, lived a life of homosexuality and drug use. But listen to how Christopher's life pan has panned out. After Christopher was flunked from dental school... He turned to organizing parties and events for the gay community. He was wildly successful and soon traveled across the country befriending the rich and famous. A series of failed romantic relationships gave way to a lifestyle of partying and uncontrolled promiscuity. First he tried drugs, then dabbled in dealing them, then rose to become a prominent drug dealer. The years went by. He was living the the high life as a fixture in the gay community. As popular and well-liked as he could hope to be. Little did he know that his mother, Angela, had been praying. For years, she had been earnestly pleading with God to save her son. She had converted an unused shower in the home to a prayer room and spent so many hours praying and studying her Bible each morning that her knees became hard and calloused. She committed every Monday to prayer and fasting and even once fasted for 39 straight days. She enlisted hundreds of friends to join her in interceding for her son, Christopher. While Christopher was partying, she was praying. In particular, Angela prayed that in some way and for some reason, Christopher's friends would desert him. Then one day, the DEA showed up at Christopher's apartment and charged him with a long series of drug offenses. He was sentenced to six years in federal prison. With no way out, he picked up the phone and called his mother. Angela responded not with despair, but with thanksgiving. After all, she had prayed that God would do whatever it took, and he had. She decided to begin counting her blessings to desperately, prayerfully record reasons to be thankful. Christopher is in a safe place, she thought, and he called us, for the first time, that list, that list of thankfulness would grow and grow, and she would continue to pray, to fast, to persevere in her pleas to God. God began to answer. On his third day in prison, Christopher walked past a pile of trash and noticed a book lying in the trash. He picked it up and found that it was a brand new Gideon's New Testament. With nothing better to do, he went back to his cell and began to read it. He read through it then again and again. It began to make sense. He began to even, joy, even join a friend to study the Bible together. A short time later, he was transferred to another prison where he found these words scribbled underside on the underside of the top metal bunk. If you are bored, read Jeremiah 29.11. He did, and for the first time... And for the first time, considered that he, even he, might have a hope and a future. He said this, For the rest of my life, I was going to live with this felony on my record like a permanent stain branded on my soul. But with God, it seemed I had no record. I had no debt to be paid. I had no shameful past. I wanted that. Just the possibility of a hope and a future seemed to brighten my gloomy cell and improve my dreary morning. Maybe I actually did have something to look forward to. Christians con- Christopher's conversion to Christ was not something he could narrow to a specific moment in time. But over time, he came to the place where he could confess this I am not a gay Christian, nor a straight Christian. I am not a Chinese Christian, nor a male Christian. I am simply a Christian. And this is my main identity. Mothers, you might be going through a trial. And that you're praying for your children. And it seems so hopeless. It seems that God is completely aloof. To what you're going through. Now mothers specifically. And and, and dear saints in general. I want to show you and reiterate again from this passage. That God hears you. That Jesus understands And that God is using this difficulty to produce something in you and in the world, something great. You might not be able to see it. You might not be able to feel it. But based upon this testimony, and more importantly, based upon the word of God, God will give justice to you speedily. Father, we thank you for your word and the tremendous blessing that it is to know it and to understand it. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ who both models for us, understands, and teaches us the will of God. Father, I pray that you would encourage all of us in our prayer lives. That by means of your scriptures by means of how you have proved true in the lives of your saints that you would supercharge our prayer lives and that you would lead us to continue on that we would have grit that we would have grit in the Christian life and grit in our prayer lives Father we thank you for your mercies and your grace help us Father encourage us And Father, use our prayers to accomplish something great in this world. We pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.